It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. All right, welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. I'm your host, Tani Levitt, coming to you on a Wednesday afternoon with college basketball's assist king, Jerry Meyer. Jerry, there are so many games last night. Were you able to watch all of them? Uh, you know, I got a peek at a, pretty much all of them. Um, yeah, it was a lot to watch. <laughs> it was a little more than I expected. I tried to I recorded them so I could fast forward through some stuff. And then I watched some highlights. But, yeah, I got a pretty good feel on what the action was last night. Yeah, at some point last night I had, like, three games up, and I realized that, like, I wasn't watching any of them. Yeah, that <laughs> happens. And I, and I just had to uh, – I closed out Maryland. They were up, like, uh, almost 10 most of the second half, and I was just like, okay, closed out Maryland, focused on Penn State, focused on West Virginia. So before we get into it, there are a number of important games that uh, we both watched last night. Uh, per your suggestion, we're going to get into them, but I, I wanted to get a real quick uh, rapid-fire session to start the episode of things that happened in this past week that um, we won't have time to get into in too much depth, but I wanted your immediate reaction. So first, late last night, we hear from Woj, Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN, that John Beeline and the Cleveland Cavaliers are, are, are parting ways, and uh, you have to assume that he's going to be... Um, you know, the top coaching candidate, if, if he wants to come back to college basketball next year, what do you make of that situation? I would think without a doubt, he would be highly sought after uh, to reenter the college ranks. Um, unfortunate situation. You know, I thought there was a real chance it could be kind of like a Brad Stevens situation. I remember when Brad Stevens got the Celtics job, you know, a lot of people kind of raised their eyebrows and like, you know, this is a little odd. You know, he seems like such a college coach. <clears throat> and then obviously he's had great success with the Celtics, and I kind of envisioned a scenario that like that with John Beeline, but it certainly did not happen. And, you know, I'm sure it was a mix of maybe him not understanding, you know, the dynamics of coaching guys that are out of college. And, you know, I'm sure the team holds some responsibility as well, but it, it did not work. Absolutely. And, and you know, Aside from the time that LeBron has been in Cleveland, that that organization entirely has been just, you know, a bit of a mess. So however that situation played out, it'll be interesting to see, you know, there are a number of places, we've talked about Texas, but there are a number of places that you have to assume next year will be looking for a coach. And if it turns out John Beeline is on the market, you know, I imagine there might even be some places that weren't necessarily looking for a new coach who might think that this is an opportunity to upgrade. So very interesting story there. We'll keep monitoring that. Without a doubt. I mean, he's got to be like at the top of the list of any yeah. vacancy and he might help create vacancies if a team thinks they can get him because obviously just a brilliant coach um doesn't always work out last night uh 
Jalen Smith sticks 20 and 19. And the only reason I bring it up is because I, I just feel like people don't understand how incredibly difficult it is to put up those kind of numbers against any team. You know, someone someone at home is probably listening and saying, Maryland played Northwestern last night. It's not a big deal. Jalen Smith has a double-double in 10 straight games. I'm sorry, nine straight games. And could you just could you just kind of explain to the listeners how difficult it is to go basically 20 and 20 in a college basketball uh, game? That's a lot. Yeah, a lot of guys would take a lot of games to get 19 rebounds. Uh, I've been very impressed with Jalen during this stretch that you mentioned. I, you know, he really came on strong uh, from a scouting perspective. He really came on strong, uh, you know, the, at the end of the summer going into his senior year, you know, elevated himself into that five-star range. And he's playing like a five-star right now. I mean, I, Maryland's tough. I really like how Maryland is looking right now. Uh, definitely a dangerous team, and you, you know you got to when you have an energetic and talented big man like Jalen, and then you have a point guard like Cowan, and then you got tough, rugged scores on the wing. That's a pretty good formula. Yeah, it'll it'll be two years in a row that Maryland will lose uh, an All Conference big man to the NBA draft without question. So uh, big shout out to Jalen Smith. My last one in the rapid fire section. God, North Carolina, they cannot catch a break. How many times in the last three to zero seconds of the game have they have they had a game? I mean, what do they have to do? I don't know. Sometimes you find a way to lose, <laughs> and that's what they've been doing very resourcefully. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Call it mojo. I don't know what to chalk it up to. They're, they're just not that good, and I know I've said that quite a few times on the broadcast. Now, just a very down North Carolina team, but seems like they're not getting very good luck either. No, apparently they're as of two days ago. I haven't I haven't checked it since, but supposedly they were the seventh least luckiest team in the country. There's uh, actually a stat for that. Yeah, yeah, Ken Palm does that, and uh, Washington, Washington was the least. They're unlucky. The least lucky team. The, well, sometimes uh, being bad or being unlucky goes along with not being good. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if we've really quantified the exact relationship on that. But. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure the people who put that stat together could explain to us more detail. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, wild. Funny. Funny to me that two of the least lucky teams are teams that we've talked about and just wondered, you know, what's the deal with them. So, so let's get into the games from last night. I know, uh, let's start LSU-Kentucky towards the top of the SEC. Uh, LSU, kind of a weird season for them because of how few contenders they've played on the year. Um, but an interesting game, came close, but, you know, Kentucky's Kentucky. Well, uh, typically Kentucky is Kentucky, and they are Kentucky right now. I, I'm really high on this team. love the way they're playing. I think they their guards uh, have gelled and quickly really looks good right now. And it, it just feels like they found their rhythm and a comfort, and they it seems like they enjoy playing with each other. And they're extremely talented, you know. And then if Kentucky hits fifty percent from three, you know, they went nine of eighteen. They're going to be very difficult to beat. Yeah, it's hard to beat teams who shoot and make threes. You know, one of the interesting and especially a team like Kentucky that's supposed to be their weakness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and then you go very 50. true. And then, but they only win by three. But you know, it's tough winning on the road. And I, I, I still think LSU is a very good team. I also noticed this: eleven blocks. Wow, for Kentucky, um, Jalen. Uh, I mean, Nick Richards with six. 
you know, one of the things that was so interesting to me about this game is I had that one on the TV, and at halftime, you know, they the the analysts in the booth or in in the uh, you know in the TV center for ESPN, they kept saying, you know, how how impressive LSU was in the first half, and then you know they they show the highlights package, and LSU was losing. You know, and yeah. they're saying LSU's playing really well this half, and still they come in down one at the half. You know, that just speaks to you know the, the form Kentucky's in right now. It's really cool, really cool for them. An interesting, also interesting year for the SEC in that you know two of its biggest contenders, LSU and Auburn, didn't really play anybody outside of conference, uh, and so it's kind of hard to evaluate them without that context. Uh, it's helpful to have that context, but you know. You you play a whole SEC schedule, you know. We should have a pretty good idea of what type of team it is. But as far as seeding for the tournament and all that, you know, I'm not a bracketologist, so I don't know how all that will play out. But I'm pretty confident that Auburn, LSU, and Kentucky are very good teams. Yeah, absolutely, definitely don't want to see them uh, against your team come Selection Sunday. Let's move on for the first time of two in this episode. Let's talk about Baylor. Mm-hmm. Last night, Baylor took care of business against Oklahoma. Any thoughts there? Or are we just looking forward to their game against Kansas? Yeah, I never thought I would say this, <clears throat> that I am about a Baylor team coached by Coach Drew. Uh, they are exceptionally, an exceptionally good man-to-man defensive team. You know, they've played so much zone in the past and kind of had the reputation of being a little you know, soft on that defensive area. Man, they are tough. Um, that it is going to be a battle against Kansas. I mean, we're talking athletic, tough players, and both teams defending at a very high level. I mean, it's going to be a physical battle. Don't tell them too much because we may or may not get to that before the end of the episode, the preview of that game. You know, you didn't expect Oklahoma to really uh, come close to Baylor last night. And Baylor, the kind of team that just takes care of business when they need to take care of business. Yeah, they're good. Very, very good basketball very team. Very solid, very complete tough experienced guards uh athleticism inside i mean they, they have the makeup the modern day makeup of a, of a great team let's go over to the a10 not something we say so often on national national college basketball podcast dayton at vcu and in a game where obi toppin didn't really have it in a game where it didn't feel like dayton really had an offensive flow they come out comfortable with a w yeah. Again, you know, we talked about teams finding a way to lose, you know, kind of joking around with the North Carolina situation. Dayton seems to be that team that's going to find a way to win and showed a completeness to, a completeness to their team and not being just so dependent on top. And, you know, I thought Crutcher was great. I think I thought yeah. they got contributions throughout the whole lineup. Um, yeah, I, I'm buying Dayton. I, th- I think they are legit. Uh, they look like a top five team to me. I feel like a lot of times with college basketball, especially, you know, fans expect really good teams to just kind of mop the floor with everybody. I and, agree with that. And, and it's a little not, unrealistic. It's not how it works. One yeah. of the things, you know, to, you and I both like a number of sports, and I know mm-hmm. we just talked about soccer. With Manchester United, with uh, sort of Alex Ferguson, when they were always winning, you know, they were famous for being tied 0-0 coming into the end of the game, and they called that Fergie time because a tough team, a team that knows how to win, they would find a way to get that goal at the end of the game. And that that was what I thought of when I saw Dayton last night. Obi Toppin was their number one guy, obviously, but he, he, wasn't, he wasn't doing it for them. And so... So it was all crutcher. It was all the system. And that was, to me, the sign of a team that they can't get flustered when when their star, you know, isn't in that rhythm. Yeah, mental toughness, 
<clears throat> and physical toughness down the stretch. Uh, very critical. I mean, even think about the Kentucky-LSU game. Kentucky outscores LSU by one point in the first half and then by two in the second half. I mean, that's a, obviously, <laughs> we can all do some math, a one-possession game. And there's just such a fine line between winning and losing. And uh, so much, so much depends on mental toughness, you know, accepting and embracing the big moment, you know, wanting to take that shot. You know, Dayton's not looking around for topping to save him. You know, they, they, all, they have talent. you got to be good. But then they have that sort of tough chemistry and that bond with, within each other uh, where they trust, you know. So there, there are a lot of – that's the sort of the psychology of winning, and you tend to see it in the teams that win. Yeah, on the flip side, you know, I think we missed that from VCU. They needed this game to stay in the, uh, in the conversation for the at-large. I, I think it's really hard for them to – uh, get in the bubble conversation again without winning the A10 tournament, and that that's a big ask for a team that I, I I just don't see you know anywhere near the same level as Dayton and maybe not even Rhode Island, you know mm-hmm. in that second space in the A10. So really disappointing for the Rams. Uh, let's let's move on to some teams that are, have been more impressive. Creighton and Marquette. I know you know past two weeks you've been you've been talking about Creighton and damn did they look good last night. They looked good last night. I mean, go off, go off. Well, I mean, the notable thing is um, Marcus Howard, only 13 points, you know, 4 of 14 from the field. Nothing in the first half. Talked to a good friend of mine, an ex-teammate, uh, is a Marquette fan, and we talked a little bit today. He thinks a big deal is after he broke his nose, Marcus Howard, he just hasn't pushed the ball on the dribble. They kind of, you know, shying away from contact still at this point. And so he's not getting to the free throw line, not quite being as aggressive. And um, but so that was notable. And then Alexander, Alexander played great defense on him as well. And that says a lot about Creighton. They're not just shooters. And I mean, both Alexander and Marcus got shots. You know, Marcus Howard got a shot to the nose, you know, which didn't surprise me that then he was a little shy. Right, night. right. He took a hit too. Yeah. But, but, Alexander also, you know, he looked like he was choking. And then he comes back in, drills a three, and still playing insane defense on Marcus Howard. I mean, talk about mental toughness, the physical toughness. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I do really like this Creighton team. <laughs> dangerous, dangerous team with so many shooters. And like you were saying earlier, no one, no one's shy. No one's shy here. So you got any more thoughts? If not, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we'll get into, for me, the game of the night, Penn State versus Illinois, and then we'll uh, look forward to, honestly, an incredibly important week uh, for some conference uh, championships to be decided, some really important games the next week, so uh, stay tuned. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on it's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? 
a baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. All right, we're back. 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. Hit us up on Twitter. We got at Jerry Meyer 247 and at 247CBBPod. We want to hear from you guys. We want to hear your questions. And it's that time of year where, you know, we college basketball junkies need to come together and get super excited because next thing you know, it's going to be the NCAA tournament. And the best part about now, this month of February, is that every game matters. Every game is going to have direct impact on who's in, who's out, and what seed people are going to get. And last night, the game of the night was Penn State versus Illinois. You know, Penn State uh, is in rare territory this year. Really interesting to potentially be the only team in college sports to finish the year top 10 in basketball and football. Yeah, it's, it's not every night you look at the TV, and if I may jump in real quick, and you see Penn State <clears throat> ranked nine and you see Dayton ranked number five. That's you know, not quite traditional, but this Penn State team's tough. Uh, unfortunate loss at home because weren't we talking about how the Big Ten, uh, the home teams have been dominating? Yes, sir. So that's so a big one for Illinois. That's for sure. I was very impressed with Illinois, and, and I enjoyed watching the game. I thought it was a good basketball to watch. It definitely and, was, and I enjoyed the broadcast, which I'm sure you want to mention. Yeah, I do. Fox, Fox, FS1, no no commercials. And, and during what would have been the commercial breaks, the TV timeouts, they just showed us the, the huddles. It was awesome. A couple times they had to kind of toggle back and forth between the two huddles to uh, get rid of curse words. But, I mean, that A, that was funny. But B, you know, just aside from that, it was, it was really cool seeing the insight. You saw the coaches draw plays. And a couple times you saw each of the coaches – give over the huddle to one of the players like you talked about, you know, last month. That yeah, was happens. Exciting. Yeah, uh, I thought there was a lot of insight to be gained, um, you know, coach to player and just how a program operates. You know, I always find it interesting, the interaction between assistant coaches and head coaches, you know, who's who's got the head coach's ear, you know, you know who's he listening to. Um, that's always fun to me. Uh, beyond, like, maybe what you would get as far as learning about basketball, and the process of the interaction, I, it just it gave the game another level of intensity to me. I felt more immersed in the game. Absolutely, uh, as, you know. And I'm not a split screen guy. I didn't at first. I was like, are, are they going to get rid of these coaches? You know, I want to see the whole. You know, I want a bigger picture. But I sort of, I sort of got drawn into that. It was interesting to see their reactions. Uh, yeah, you know, see what they got fired up about, how they stayed calm. Because a lot of things go wrong in a basketball game. <laughs> so you have to have self-control as a coach to hold it together. But, uh, yeah, it, it really added a positive element to the game to me. One of the most interesting things to me was during the play, you know, they had those those boxes for mm -hmm. the coaches. It was interesting to me to see on the offensive end, you know, when the coaches decided they needed to call a play and when they would trust their players. And down the stretch for Illinois, you know, Coach Underwood basically said, get the ball to Io." And let him do work. The, you know, yeah. the, and and you saw Pat Chambers, you know Penn State's coach, saying, "Look, they're going to run run the pick and roll with a five and the one. That's Io Desumu mm -hmm. and, and um, Kofi Cockburn. Kofi Kofi Coburn. When right? he was in, and 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 it didn't matter. You know, there was Io dropped twenty two points. He was tremendous. 
talk to him. I mean, he, you know, he's he's making a push for a first team All Big Ten. You know, with that kind of play, he looked like it. <laughs> he looked like it last night. You know, always been a highly regarded player, kind of that bottom five star range, if I remember correctly, when he came out. Yeah, I thought he was great. I tell you, one thing Illinois does a great job of is they get him out on the wing and do a great job passing the ball up the court. There were so many times he was getting behind the defense in transition, which I think a lot you have to fault Penn State because, come on, man, you know that's what they want to do. Get him out on the wing, get it up to him. He's going to attack the rim. you got to get to his level so he can't get behind you. You know, Then you're flailing at shots, trying to block him, trying to take charges and giving up buckets. But then even in the half court, I thought Io was tremendous. I mean, he controlled that game. Again, mental toughness. <laughs> he made the big shots down the stretch that were the difference in winning and losing. Because Penn State made a run there. It was like a minute and a half, maybe two-point game. And Io hit a huge uh, kind of driving shot in the lane to make it four. And then they got a stop. And then it's pretty much – they got the game. You know, the, uh, the the timeout before Io took and hit that floater, I would have assumed that Brad Underwood, Illinois' coach, would have been drawing up a play. And as he drew up the play, I realized the all he was doing was finding a creative way to get Iowa the ball. Yeah. He didn't he didn't drop anything to there, get There were going to be a bunch of passing around. No, well, <laughs> the ball's going to stay in Iowa's hands and let's get people in the right spots. Well, it was all about how are we going to free up Iowa to get the ball in a position to attack. Mm-hmm. You know, because they didn't want to in, inbound the ball straight to him. It was, it was all screens to get him the ball available. Right. I, yeah, at the attack time. And yeah. and that was really interesting to me that you know mm-hmm. he, he just trusted Io to once he has the ball, you can take care of it. And, yeah. and lo and behold, he pushes away from the uh, pick and roll, drives left, pulls up with the floater, and, and ends the game. You know, very interesting game. And, and honestly, Illinois, if they had been able to pull out that win at Maryland early in the season, which they should have won. They really should have. Maryland was down like 10 with three to go, and Illinois didn't hit a single shot, lost 58-57. Those two might have been the biggest two road wins in the Big Ten this year. And a team like that that can go on the road, watch out. Watch out come March. Uh, no doubt. I mean, I think both teams, Absolutely. pretty good teams. <laughs> you know, I mean, it is going to be a fun tournament because uh, I think you have a lot. I don't know. I feel like it's kind of up in there. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, some teams are separating, at least at this point, as favorites and and, and rightfully so favorites. But it seems like a lot of teams have a chance to do some damage. It's going to be interesting to find out which ones that are the ones that do it. Well, Penn State now is two games behind Maryland in the Big Ten standings with, uh, I think, five games to go. It'll be difficult to make up that ground, but even so, second in the Big Ten, no matter what happens in the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament, you have to assume Pat Chambers is getting an extension. You know, I mean, this, this, I think so, yeah, and a raise. <laughs> yes, sir. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think he's doing a fine job coaching them. I, I love what they do offensively. I think one problem with Penn State, they end up taking – a lot of kind of difficult shots off the dribble because it's just the nature of their offense, kind of five out. They don't, they're not really putting a guy down in the post. Uh, they're cutting into the post off slip screens and other things. But I love the wide open offense and the movement. Sometimes it stagnates and they kind of looks like they're taking turns going one on one. But excuse me, but they have players who are pretty good at doing that. 
Yeah. And and when you think about Penn State, that's just not a basketball school. And here you have them competing at the highest level. And there's nothing, you know, fluky about yeah. this. this Chambers is deserves tons of credit. Yeah. So uh, we'll keep an eye out. But, you know, this week there are some just enormously important games as it relates to uh, who's going to win the regular season conference championships in some of the major conferences. So I just wanted to highlight some of these games, point out some interesting stats, and then let you explain to the listeners you know, what, what you're looking for, because I know these games are on your radar. So let, let's go straight to Saturday. Kansas at Baylor on new, at noon. ESPN's college game day is going to be there. And so at the top of the Big 12, after Baylor's win last night, they're 13-0, Kansas is 12-1, and and this is the last time they're playing this season. And after, you know, after this game with four to go, a two-game lead for Baylor would pretty much seal the conference. And last thing before I give you the floor, you know, last year, Texas Tech and Kansas State co-won the Big 12 championship breaking Kansas's run of 14 consecutive Big 12 titles. And now it looks like with Baylor up at the top, Kansas could be at risk of missing the title two years in a row, which, you know, is practically unheard of. So, you know, what are you looking for? Kansas at Baylor noon this Saturday. I'm interested in watching the defenses. I think two tremendous defensive teams and interested. Um. Maybe more so, I want to watch Kansas defend Baylor. Um, Butler is such a tough guard. And they have they, they have a slew of very good guards at Baylor. So that's what I'm looking forward to just personally. I, I can't handicap it. I mean, I guess I'd go with the home team. Because to me, it's they're very, very even teams. Um, I think it's going to be an extremely physical game. And a lot of athleticism out there. A lot of tough, good athletes. And two teams that are playing great ball. So that, that would be one just to sit down and just enjoy. Barring something crazy, this is the, this is the regular season game of the year. I mean. Well, yeah. I mean, there's three things. Three teams have the top odds yeah. to win the national title. And there are two of them. Those two in Gonzaga. Baylor is number one in AP. Kansas is number one in Ken Palm. Both of them are pretty much across the board top three in every metric, human or computer. This is not a game to miss. Um, I personally have to miss it because I have a family event, but I, I, I'm praying that you guys at home are going to watch it for me. Tweet us about it at the at the 24/7 Sports College Basketball Show on Instagram on Twitter. I'm sorry, so that uh, at least I can get I can get your feedback. So watch that game. Take a break. Go hang out with your family. 9 p.m. Oregon travels to Arizona, and I know I don't I know you don't love Arizona, um, but right now at the top of the Pac-12, we've got Colorado and Oregon nine to four. Arizona and Arizona State eight and four, and UCLA and USC at eight and five. So every, all these six teams within one game of each other. So it's wide open. Yeah. And as much as as much as Arizona is confusing, there are still serious reasons to love them. You know, the computers love Arizona eight in the net, eleven in Ken Palm, eight in BPI, twenty two in Sagarin, nineteen in KPI, and currently as you know today. Uh, they are tied for the most projected first-round picks in this upcoming right, NBA yeah. draft. Because of the big three? With Najee, Nico yep. Mannion, and, and Josh mm-hmm. Green. And, you know, lastly, our, our, our buddy Kevin Flaherty sent us some research from John Gassaway. You know, they've got 16% of their offensive possessions ended turnovers and 31% ended offensive rebounds. 
which leads to sixth among power six conferences in shooting volume index, which basically means they get up a lot of shots. You know, they, they don't turn over the ball a lot. They rebound the ball and they shoot, which shooting as it happens, is correlated with the ball going through the hoop. So there's so there's reason to say that even though Arizona hasn't put it together, they've still got it. But on the other side of the ball, we've got your boy Kevin Pritchard. Yeah, yeah, I, I love I love the way he plays. Um, you know, my notion on this game: um, the team that is tougher defensively and rebounding. I, you know. That's just like my gut feeling on what where the difference in the game might be. I think they're two very good offensive teams, have guys who can score, uh, two very good point guards, and I, I would think you know whoever, whoever wins the the battle on the boards is going to have the best chance to win. And is there something that either of these teams could show you something new that would change the way that you think about them going into oh, March? Yeah, for Arizona, just toughness defensively. Uh, defensive rebounding, obviously, as you mentioned, they're doing a great job on the offensive boards. And I don't know exactly what their numbers are, but just in the games that I have physically watched them, I've been a little underwhelmed with their toughness on the defensive end. And so, oh, because I I feel good about them offensively. And so, yeah, I would like Arizona a whole lot more as a threat in March if I felt better about their defense. So that'll be one of the things I'm looking for, you know, Mm -hmm. to find out. You know, one of the reasons a lot of people are saying – this year's NCAA tournament is wide open is because there are so few teams with that collection of NBA talent. Mm-hmm. And you just wonder if uh, Arizona might be uh, playing a little possum with us. Yeah, it, might, and, it and might come together. It might be in the process of doing that right now. All it takes is six games. That's all it takes. Yeah. So, But the final, which honestly, as much as uh, uh, Baylor-Kansas is definitely the game of the day and potentially the game of the season. Gonzaga at BYU for me is wildly interesting. You've got at the top of the West Coast Conference, Gonzaga is 12 and 0, BYU 10 and 3, St. Mary's 8 and 4. And to be honest, Gonzaga would basically have to lose out in order for either of these teams to really get back in the mix. And that's just not going to happen because Gonzaga is obviously tremendous. But for BYU, they're a really good team who, you know, we talked about them early in the season after their uh, their showing in Maui. I was very intrigued by Toulson, and they've got Haas. They've got an interesting team, and they've been really putting it together, soaring in the computer rankings. And it's a chance for them to get a signature win. They're just two and six in the Nets quad one, but their wins are over Houston and Utah State. And with all due respect to those two programs, good programs, you know th- those aren't teams that are going to blow you away. Say, wow, you beat those guys. And so for BYU, this is an opportunity to really, really make a statement, you know, come March. So what what about Gonzaga-BYU are, are you looking for? Uh, it's just always a great battle. I mean, it's to me, you know, they're two of the better teams, typically west of the Mississippi. And BYU, they, they always seem to play with a purpose. I want to say with a mission, but that's probably, <laughs> you know. Corny. That's too corny, too weak. But they, they, I always feel like there's a purpose to how they play, and there's a toughness. You know, they're, they're not afraid to mix it up. <clears throat> they are not afraid to compete. They typically have a singleness of purpose. You know, always a, a strong program. So, you know, I don't know that I have any great detailed analysis on this one. But but extremely looking forward to watching it. I always love a, a Gonzaga-BYU game, and like a BYU-Utah game. BYU just brings a special intensity 
uh, to all their games. BYU is honestly one of these weird teams that I really feel like just year in, year out, they kind of play to the opponent. And so you find them losing to like teams that are not in their league but and they'll, then playing they'll bring really, it to another level. really well yeah. against good teams. And it's a great point. You know, Gonzaga, as, as, as great as it is for them in the West Coast Conference, you know, they don't play so many games after, I don't know, you know, late November against great teams until March. Yeah, and I mean, so it's facts uh, are facts. It's, uh, it's not one of the strongest conferences. And, and, and there's no reason for them to switch. They're financially stable. They're doing a really good job. You know, they're, they're number, always in contention for a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. But nonetheless, I get excited when there's actually a game where they're going to be challenged. Sure. You know, Ken Palm only has this game uh, decided by two points. Uh, and so, you wow. know, an opportunity to see Gonzaga in an endgame situation is in a unique tough, and exciting. In a tough environment. It's, it's at BYU, correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's an, another great one to watch. All right. And last one, Monday night, Louisville at Florida State. And at the top of the ACC, we've got Duke, who are 12-2. and two. They play NC State tonight. Wednesday night, Louisville and Florida State sitting right behind them at 12 and 3. Louisville's got Syracuse tonight and North Carolina on Saturday. Florida State plays North Carolina State on Saturday. But the point of the story is chances are these two teams are going to be within a game of the top of the ACC right. come Monday night. And an odd thing about these two teams that are in contention for, you know, top four seeds in the NCAA tournament, both of them are just four and three in quad one. And you know, in a weak year for the ACC, you need those top end wins to get consideration from the selection committee to get into the top three seed lines, which obviously is highly correlated with uh, going far in the NCAA tournament. So what you're looking for, uh, Louisville, Florida State? Yeah, um, exciting matchup. <clears throat> you know, teams that traditionally have some length and athleticism across the board. Uh, it's going to be fun watching uh, both sides match up in that regard. You know, I'm thinking getting who can get the better shots. And then you can say that for pretty much any game. <laughs> but to me, that's just kind of where my head is when I think about this game. Because I think the defense is, you know, there's going to be the athleticism, the toughness, the rebounding. But who can create the best looks, I think, is going to be something I'm looking at. For Florida State, who do you think um, is the best matchup defensively against Jordan Nora? Oh, that's a good, tough one. Yeah, I, I mean, don't know. Help me that, out there. That, I got that, pulling up their roster right now. I mean, I don't know. I just is it like it feels, I don't know. It feels yeah. it feels to me that that's that's you know that's the question that decides it. Very often, yeah, because Noir is a great scorer, and if he gets going, look out. Forget about <laughs> it. It's going to be extremely difficult to beat Louisville. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he 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 would be the point of contention. You know, so if Louisville can get Noir going, get him good looks, you know, great for Louisville. If Florida State can hold him in check, uh, great for Florida State. All right. Well, that's that's all I got, Jerry. You, want, you got any parting words for the no, people? I'm good. good all right. Down. Well, it's 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 an important week for college basketball. Honestly, there there are no longer not important weeks for college basketball. Every week, we're learning things that will directly impact yeah. March uh, and, and the NCAA and the, tournament. Right. And the key is, you know, as far as seeding, and help me out on this. Like, there's a win now mean the same as a win in, say, November? They don't really look at the time, do they? Isn't more I mean, about the opponent and the quad? So, sometimes sometimes they, take, they take into consideration the time. It's good. It's, it's well, more, good, because I think you should, personally, because what's so important about this time of year for me is this is when you better get good. <laughs> We're getting ready to go into the, the tournament, and so this is the time to gel. This is the time to find your identity to have your confidence, uh, to get that synchronicity within your program. 
So that's the key. The key is improving and keep getting better when other teams stagnate. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there there are two things. One is that over the past few years, the NCAA, the, the selection committee has made it very, very clear that good wins are more important to them than bad losses, which is why I think you people will be surprised to see how high Duke is ranked. They have a, an interesting group of losses, um, nearly lost to UNC, which would have been really bad. And nonetheless, I, I still think they're going to be on the top two seed lines. Um, but, you know, I think when they they take time into into uh, conversation is when you've learned something new. Uh, you know, if if Carolina was in conversation right now, I think a win now after Cole Anthony's uh, return would mean more to them than a loss yeah, while he was sense. out. That, that that's, kind of, that's good to get teams to schedule stronger opponents. I mean, it's a good strategy. I like the formula. But on the other hand, for, for teams that are, say, mid-majors or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe on the outskirts of, of the power structure, uh, those games in November are their real tests when they, you know, can schedule right. against a, a top four team in a Power Six conference. Mm-hmm. And so for Gonzaga, those wins, you know, uh, back at the beginning of the season, they matter just as much because, I mean, they're cruising. You know, they, they it's, we haven't learned anything new about Gonzaga for better or for worse. They're just really good, you know. And so those those wins in November, they matter for the NCAA selection committee. Um, well, that's a good that's a good conversation. So pay, uh, the reason I brought it up is, guys, watch those games this week. Pay attention. We'll be back next week with a lot more to talk about uh but for now this is the 24 7 sports college basketball show signing off we'll see you next week CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.